Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson, your gracious host, Densonology on all the socials or at Innovation Crush on the other socials. Um, if you guys are tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things innovation, ideas, creativity, uh, smart people doing smart things, and we almost are wearing matching shirts, but not really. Um, Eric Olson, say hello. Hi. Great to be here, Chris. Uh, it is great to have you here. That's even more important. I'm always here, so it's, <laughs> that's, that's one key differentiator. Uh, I guess for for those who may not know you or your work, I would love if you could kind of give a uh, an abbreviated overview. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the four-floor uh, elevator pitch. There you go. Uh, I'm the design director at Carton Design. We're an innovation consultancy, uh, not too far away from the studio here in Los Angeles. Um, got about a 30-year history um, and over that time of developing products and services for lots of big companies uh, across the globe, um, we've really developed an expertise and have dedicated ourselves to doing medical devices. So really um, are now applying all the uh, all the great experience that we've had and expertise in doing innovation, developing new products and services, and applying that to, to healthcare, which is exciting and yeah. challenging and, <laughs> and, all, and, and, you're not and all those good things. Nope. <laughs> um, nope. which makes it even harder <laughs> I would imagine yeah exactly um, one of the things that struck me just first and foremost was I mean you've been part of this company since 96 yeah yeah uh, which is something you like you just never hear anymore like know, nobody's at a company of. you know there was a, a guy we we spoke with earlier who is like one to three years two and a half years there to, yeah, yeah, yeah like amassed all this amazing experience yeah, like the shortest resume ever. right um and i was just curious as to like you know what's the advantage of staying at a company uh -huh. for the amount of time that you have and what are some disadvantages because i think you know you take that three to five year average yeah, sure. time at a company like there are some advantages in like you're always bringing fresh eyes you've developed a different kind of rolodex but right. then right you don't get to see a longer term thing, you know, through. Anywhere. Right, right. But yeah. So obvious disadvantages. I was joking, only half kidding about having the shortest resume ever. Right. <laughs> you don't get to click off, you know, five companies that you worked at and, and hope that maybe two or three of those really resonate with whoever you're talking right. to when you go to get a job. The obvious advantage is I'm not going out and looking for a job all the time. So it's sort of irrelevant. But um you know, working for a design firm, Carton Design is a consultancy, and we're always working on six or eight projects at a time. So imagine multiply that over the course of a year sure. and then multiply that by 20-something years. I'm going to start counting by fives now pretty soon. <laughs> um, it really gives and, – and, and I'm not the longest tenured employee there. Wow. So there have been some people there longer than, than I have. Um, and what that really lets you see is just such a wide group of challenges and companies and uh, as you can imagine you start seeing similarities and differences and you know i'm sure we at some point we'll talk more about this but i really believe that one of the great parts of innovation is being able to mash up yeah. and pull things together from maybe not so obvious references and By the way, we won't talk about so. that at all <laughs> i know i know you don't care about that. not <laughs> okay. a subject we'll you care really about, care about. Stuff. yeah yeah uh um, no so that, that's the that's yeah. the biggest advantage just well, a huge pool of different crazy 
things to pull from. I was going to say, I, I think sometimes the misperception, you know, with a, an organization like yours is that you only do one thing, right? You've been doing the same thing for, yeah, right. but you know, any, ask any, any person who's been at an agency for a long, like the number of clients right. and the types of things right. you get to work on. Um, and especially if you're inventing and mashing things. Right. Up. Right. So, um, I guess, you know, where do you guys start, right? <laughs> because it, it, when you think about medical technology, I guess, or medical innovation or device innovation, um, part of a, a journey of being there that long is sometimes just things like federal regulations sure. or the processes that you need to go through sure. in order to make something happen. Um, I guess walk us through a little bit of the, you know, from the ideation to fruition, you know, what that journey is like and maybe cite an example of a, of a product in, in it. Yeah, sure. Um, so we really pride ourselves on being a, a user-centric organization, really taking to heart, you know, what has now become best practices in, in design and development, which is to really listen to the people who are going to be using your, your product or your service when you're, when you're all done. So what that really looks like, regardless of how difficult or how complicated the device is or how long the process is going to take, and in med device, it can take years, yeah. um, is really making sure that the foundation is solid and we really understand what the stakeholders' needs are. And I say stakeholders because unlike a pair of headphones and med device, the user could be a doctor, maybe another doctor, a nurse, um, you know, a med tech, uh, there's a rep involved. Mm -hmm. Typically, there's a patient, there's a patient's caregivers, plural, or their family, you know, all those people have a stake in the success or failure of, of a device. And by success or failure, I mean, can it be used? And is it something that, you know, really has a great effect? And also, you yeah. know, does that company, you know, the company that we work for needs to have financial gain at the end? You know, this right. is a for-profit enterprise that we're doing. And in addition to an altruistic one as well. So, so I'd say the, that is the biggest and most important start that we really believe in is understanding and going out and doing the face-to-face -face research with yeah. as many people as we can possibly get um, connected with. doesn't necessarily mean there's 100 doctors that you talk to. It could only be two or three. But to be able to talk to each of those people, um, bring out our clients so they can hear firsthand. These, yeah. This is the foundation that really sets uh, the goals um, for device development and make sure that you stay really true to what the focus is throughout it. Cause there's going to be challenges along the way being dragged left to right by things. So that's, that's probably the most, most important part. Well, with, with all those stakeholders you mentioned, you know, where's the starting point mm -hmm. from, uh, you know, you get that phone call and you're like, all right, we need to go talk to some doctors, some patients, yeah. the, yeah. some technologists, like where, right, right. or do you go, all right, here's some here's five ideas we think might work, and then we'll go socialize those. Where like what's the what's the starting point with a lot of these? The starting point we typically believe in is to ask first before we tell. But but a lot of times, as as you know, we're working for companies that are filled with a lot of very smart, very hardworking people, and they have been in spaces longer than we have. So so in the case of a you know a device company, they may be on Gen five of something. There may be people in the company who have PhDs in this subject and have been working in this in this <laughs> yeah, area yeah, for exactly. five, 10, 20 years. So we don't we don't believe uh, you know are are sort of ego free as we go in and. The, you know, so we don't believe that we have answers that they don't have. So the first steps 
actually before we actually get out into the field are typically to talk to those internal teams first mm. and learn as much as quickly as we can you know have to become sort of armchair armchair quarterbacks as, as quickly as we can just so we can even keep up with the, the yeah. really smart people that are that understand the complexities of these so i'm gonna i'm gonna try to do some science words yeah okay uh neuromodulation Renal denervation. Did that pronounce that word? Huh? Yeah. Orthopedic diagnostics. Dental. Yep. Dental operatory. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea what anything any of okay. these things mean. <laughs> what I like about you is that you probably don't either. At least when right. you walk into a room, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Um, and I guess tell me a little bit about that fresh eyes perspective and like being so naive to. Uh, you know, an industry or a problem or, you know, especially when it comes to the human, like how we, you know, better medical care. Like it's one of the right. most right. important innovation verticals. That I, I mean, that I can think of, right. you know, it's not like it's a social media app. Right. 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 <laughs> um, but that idea of learning and adopting and then applying and also developing trust with whomever you're working with. Right. They're using words that I can't, I can barely pronounce. <laughs> Yeah, one of the great things about bringing clients, uh, bring our clients out into the actual um, environment of use and and uh, and talking to the users of of products is many times a lot of these amazing engineers haven't had the opportunity to go out and spend a lot of time with the, with the end user. Um, so together, what you hear and the feedback that you get from ideas and 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 the challenges you hear um, becomes super powerful for everybody. So at least there's a level playing field and everybody in some cases is hearing some of these comments and some of these challenges that, that doctors and patients are facing mm -hmm. um, implementing a new technology or next gen for the same time. So that's pretty nice that that's like, it's sort of a fair playing field on that in that respect, right? Because the actual technical application is, totally unfair. We will never come up to a full understanding really of exactly the mechanism of action of some sure. of these things. You know, neuromodulation is pretty complicated, um, you know, technology and isn't, you know, it's not something that we get so under the hood with that we understand it in a deep way. But what we can bring is the experience that's twofold to this, that maybe even the most amazing engineer doesn't have the expertise in. And that is to some degree bringing that experience of attraction and that emotional connection, which mm -hmm. we really think has been lacking in med device for a long time. Explain the attraction part. Yeah. So, so in the past, you know, in consumer products, you can imagine you design for something that's going to be sold on the shelf at, you know, from Procter and Gamble or a set of headphones that's going to be in, in Best Buy or something right. like that. There's an expectation that those things have an emotional attraction to them. When you see that on the shelf, you want consumers to say, whoa, that is me. That's cool. I right. want that. That's yeah. cool. You know, that's really going to speak to me. And then there's a functional aspect, obviously. It's got to sound good or, or perform well. In the past, for medical devices, it was okay just to have efficacy. As long as this thing saves lives and gets, uh, you know, and provides improvements to patient health, yeah. um, what it looks like and whether they are scared off by this is really, really immaterial. But as anyone who's watching the healthcare space knows and is starting to read about, there's increasing choice from patients. Patients are aware of treatments. They're doing their own research. They're going yeah. on Google. They're, you know, they're seeing ads for pharmaceuticals. You know, they're coming Which in. Which can be a good and a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. But regardless of whether it's good or bad, the expectations are set. And patients and doctors and all these, uh, everybody who's involved in this really have the expectation now that medical devices 
are just as cool, work just as well, you know, can be used just as simply as uh, as consumer electronics or anything else. Right? Yeah, well, so, one of my favorite examples from your portfolio of projects, and especially like it being rooted in some interesting data points, right? And which is hearing loss in this in this hmm. example. Um, there are 48 million people who suffer from hearing loss. And uh, the other statistic you had on your website was that it's, uh, it's almost seven years yeah. from the time that they know that they actually go and do something about it or, or purchase a device. Yep. And so the Starkey, I want to yep. say what, yep. um, it, you know, speaking of design and looking cool from both a visual standpoint and a functional standpoint. Um, I think is a great example of what you just. It mentioned. has to do both, yeah. right? Yeah, right. For, I mean, for years, hearing aids really are little little supercomputers. They're really amazing pieces of hardware, but the fact that they kind of look like beige shrimp behind your <laughs> ear for years and years and years has had a whole generation of people that are like, "Whoa, not me! That is yeah. stigmatizing. That is code for I'm old, you know, and I'm infirm." Um, one of our biggest challenges is to. Hey, if we can't get somebody to want a hearing aid, we should at least make that thing look like it's worth the four, five, six grand that it could that could be. You know, when you're holding it in your hand, yeah. it's got to look like it's got some value to it. And then when you put it on your ear, if we can make that thing disappear and try to try to alleviate some of that stigma, yeah, you know, those and those are emotional conversations, right? We're not Absolutely. we're not affecting the performance. I mean, we can help in some in some areas, but uh, you know, if there's ways that we can make this disappear and let people they just want to get on with their lives. Yeah. You know, they don't want technology to get in the way or to be, have it be flashy. They want it to take a back seat so they can get on with what they want to do, which is playing golf, you know, talking to the grandkids, whatever, yeah. whatever the case may be. So. No, that, that's, that's a, a, an amazing example. And also I think the reason I like that example as well, um, because it was also iPhone compatible. Yep. So being like, it adds another level of convenience. Like how much of that type of multifunctionality are you thinking about when you go into the design process or, you know, are you going like, it needs to look cool. We need to, decrease that seven year gap of purchase or is it like okay phones are basically lifeblood of, right. of most right. of us today so like where's the design thinking come into yeah that's a that's a good example it's why we built a ux ui practice because that's a blurry line these days between a device and software you know even the most dedicated medical devices probably throwing off data to some clinician portal somewhere else <laughs> right. or maybe connecting to a smartphone and and this is just the way of the world so for sure from a holistic perspective it's it's looking at the whole experience consumers and users and doctors and patients they don't think about the iPhone or the you know their Samsung phone as a device they think about it as a device with a service with apps you know it, it's all right. it's all one thing in their mind so so you have to look at it together completely and keep focused on again what is the end result if the end result is to get this product or this service or this device um to work seamlessly with someone's lifestyle then you should be thinking about their golf game not so much about you know the yeah about the device having a conversation itself. in the living room yeah exactly which is I think that's even just in the in the sake of the hearing aid example that immediately where I go to is like I want to I don't want to talk to my grandmother like this yeah like, exactly but let alone the phone calls or the round of golf or being able to go swimming right? yeah like yeah it's, um so that that's so that's the that's the sort of real end result that we're which I, on. I swim with my phone all the time <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> your example is a good one though in terms of like how can something find its way into the background. So, so hearing aids that are enabled 
to connect with smartphones means, for example, that you could geotag your coffee shop. And when now when your phone knows that you just walked into that coffee shop, it automatically flips your hearing aid into a, moan that, a mode that has already been preset for that exact coffee oh, shop that brilliant. cuts out the background noise. So, you know, so that chatter in the background drops out and you can actually have a conversation with someone or so. So that's a, like, who cares about the technology? Yeah. Once that's developed, that should really sort of disappear and fade into the background, yeah. you know? Um, you have one of those jobs where people are like, that sounds fun. Like, it, you know, because to be able to think freely about all these things. Um, but right. tell me about the hurdles. Because <laughs> I'm sure for like every example we can talk about, there's probably like a dozen things on the cutting room floor for whatever oh, reasons yeah, or... Yeah. You know, regulation, regulatory startup that you were sure. connected to didn't necessarily pan yep. out. Like, yep. um, uh, walk us through some of the the, the dark sides of, <laughs> of your magic. <laughs> yeah, broadly speaking, I think anyone who's in daily product development will tell you that their their ego drops away pretty quickly because you kill thousands of great. It seems like you kill thousands of great ideas every day. That's not really the case, but you just it have to feels be able, like it. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it does. Like and if you get and you can't help but get emotionally involved in things, and then they could fall apart for any number of reasons. Um, so that's just, I think that's just in general. And they kind of train you for that in design school by, you know, mm. making you put your work up and and then rip it down and come again tomorrow with more right. and, you know, more, Public more, more, more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just build up your, your emotional <laughs> count. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. it's funny. I mean, sorry, that's to cut you off, but like, you know, I'm speaking of boot, I, I did stand up for a while. Uh, oh, and yeah. I, you get a lot of those, right? Yeah, like, and right. I think it builds up a weirder res- sense of resiliency Absolutely. when somebody doesn't like my idea. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, hmm. right. Right. I, I really wanted to do it, right. but uh, sorry, I guess it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's a fallacy, really. I think that you know, as you know, even stand up, you had a thousand, a thousand bits, you know, oh, yeah. and you put them together into maybe you know into a few minutes, right? Yeah, it's a exactly. Fallacy to think that you just get up there and just like riff. No, it's, <laughs> it's practiced, and there's a, you know, you develop processes as kind of a defense mechanism. You're like, I don't know how this is going to go, yeah, but if I follow this process. I've done it 50 times before or 500 times before I have, a, you know, I think I'll work through it and, right. I'll, and I'll get there. You know? That's, that's great. So, um, mode mapping. Mode mapping. Um, so that is a reaction. The, the story that we like to tell, that's a, it's a way to visualize information that we're getting from research. And really all it is, is a way of saying, Oh, we're tracking the process of some, something maybe pretty complicated, across a timeline and saying, okay, it starts with this and then this happens and then this happens and this happens. So imagine that on a visual grid from left to right. And then top to bottom on this same grid, this graph, if you will, is the emotional part of it, which is sort of new to any kind of informatics or anything. Usually they just, most people just kind of capture what is. This happens and then this happens and then this happens. But what we layered onto the top of it was this understanding so you could sort of see the line of, uh, of someone's attention dropping way down and going way up. Imagine doing that. We did it when we first started for hearing aids. Imagine doing that for 20 different hearing aid users and then overlaying those graphics on top of each other and saying, whoa, everybody at this point, their emotional thing, the, you know, mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. mad are they about this? How upset? Not just like I'm annoyed, but like this yeah, sucks. Furious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How many times is that dipping way down into this is, this is not good for the brand. This is not good for, for anybody. Right. In the hearing aid case, we overlaid those and it invariably mm-hmm. led to a couple of different areas. One of which in particular was just loading batteries into hearing aids. 
So that gives you something where you're like, well, that is the first order of business. Let us find, let's spend as much time as we need to trying to make that experience better. Right. Again, we may never get them to love hearing aids, but we could at least knock off the, yeah. you know, the real brutal parts on there. So well, that's that just a tool that we use. And how did it come about? Like, you know, were you just like, we need something to do this? Or were you kind of like looking at those 20 different patients and then you, you know, you made it into a system? Like where did the... Yeah, it came about kind of the, the part that we like to joke about is it came about from the, from the aspect that designers aren't great with reading and digesting a lot of written material. <laughs> whether that means well, maybe it's maybe it's our inability that that led us into design or uh, right. I, I won't i won't speak to that but but we recognize that there's lots and lots of research reports that end up in a binder in somebody's file cabinet somewhere and being visual people we wanted tools that we could look at on a wall together and go Ooh, look at that common look at yeah. that common thing that we can see because we're visual people that's kind of where it started um it's actually even though we built it selfishly, has become a great tool to communicate with internal teams with our clients too, because you've got stakeholders from marketing and engineering and business yeah. and management and you know all these different, and they need a common tool too. And, yeah. and a visual tool is you know can be sort of our math that it's a, a universal way to look at something. And a lot of times it's it's qualitative information. It's not quant. You can't come up and say. 87% of people hate this. You're like, <laughs> just look up here. You can just right. see for yourself, you know, this sucks. And you can tell it sucks across all these people that we put up on the wall. So let's go fix it. That's great. I mean, because uh, uh, that's been an award-winning, you know, proprietary thing that you guys have done, uh -huh. as well as multiple awards for the products you've developed. Um, how do you, is there pressure? To you know, to sort of maintain a level of excellence, or is it kind of come naturally with the business that you're in? You know, it's a it's a side effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great accolades, but sure. you know, it's kind of like the Oscars. It's it's from juries of our peers, so it's good that you know, it's nice to be recognized. Right, but uh, you know, there's no no direct one steak dinner will get you in the war. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, uh. right. <laughs> yeah, right. There's no direct uh, financial compensation. I think it's a, it's more of a, I think we would, we would be more, we're more excited to share business success or, or, you know, success from an efficacy perspective. I get excited when our defibrillator client comes and says, Oh, you know, you probably aren't tracking this like we are, but you know, X thousands of people have lived because of this product. That's okay. That's there's great. a number I can yeah. get behind. Or, you know, when a, when a company that we work for, um, gets acquired, you know, and has an acquisition for $425 million. That's something we would say, okay, that, that's, 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 better, that's where that's pride comes word. more than like, oh, we got this like plaque, you know, from, yeah. from design. But either way, like it's excellence on both ends, right? I think it's great to, you know, because sometimes awards are empty it's just because it's like, okay. Right. But the fact that, you know, it's had real world results is awesome. Yeah. Um, how much do you guys get to play? Um, you know, it sounds like a lot of this is tied directly to an institution or a specific type of patient. Yep. But, you know, I know there's this bathroom of the future uh -huh. concept you've toyed around <laughs> yeah, with. Yeah. Like, where does, like, the white canvas come in versus the assigned, you know, work? Oh, that's a good question. I had, you know, probably 10% of what we do or, or less. <laughs> Fair small. Yeah, really, yeah. Is is that sort of, hey, let's just flex our, flex our muscles and flex right. our creativity. Um, but we do dedicate time to do to it. bathrooms. 
Yeah. No, <laughs> we dedicated a lot of time to the bad. Yeah. Thing. I mean, a lot of a lot of these things are just reactions to something that we're working on, and we just realize, wow, this there's an opportunity here that doesn't really fit with any one particular client or brand, and maybe we're sort of obliged to promote this, like this idea of bringing healthcare technology into the bathroom. That's not necessarily something that a sink manufacturer right. um, is going to take on. They're not tech people and tech people aren't making plumbing, you know? So, so maybe it is a responsibility of a, of a design firm to be a bit visionary and say, Hey, if, if everybody worked together, you right. know, this could be an environment that could really be, you know, uh, uh, an area and a means of providing healthcare support and, and all you know has has other benefits. So. Yeah, you don't want to let things go down the drain. Yeah, exactly. Ah, good. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, I can do better. I promise. <laughs> the, uh, no, I, but I would love if you if you don't mind, like with that example, Not just kind of walk us through some of the things that were envisioned in this bathroom. You know, oh from yeah, the, like the connected mirror to yeah, what, of course. Uh, yeah, not to get too philosophical about it, but what you think is cool about the bathroom is that it is a common space that's used pretty much in privacy, unless you've got little kids or someone busting out <laughs> you all the time, um, throughout your whole life across different life stages, right? So even from infancy to to teenage years to, um, you know, single years to maybe conception and starting a family, it, you get the idea. Right. It goes on and on. So that's pretty cool. Um, and it already is sort of a place. The bathroom is a place already where you're doing some self-diagnosis, Right. You know, yep. you're checking to see if that mole is growing or, you know, how things are doing. Um, again, it's in privacy. So that's a um, good area there. It's your pharmacy cabinet most of the time. Um, it's a place where um, where you're actually dealing with body fluids, which are, you know, fun. of any other place. Yeah, that's always fun. But that's, <laughs> you know, it's the best way to find out information about yourself. Absolutely. So, so it kind of has some inherent advantages there. And we thought it would be could be a cool place again to um, to explore and bringing in healthcare technology in in a seamless way. So that's that's well, the like important it, thing it, about it. It you, can't it be a lab. You it, know? Exactly. It does. The bathroom does. It's like your personal doctor's office. Yeah. Like in that instance, and especially I think at a time where more and more people are taking healthcare into their own hands in some way, whether exactly. it's you know exactly. the Oscars of the world or yep. The false promises of Ther uh, Theranos, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, which was a great uh, conceptually yep. was a, like amazing, right? Yep. As, as we and all know, still working on, but it, I, and it. not just because of what it was, but because of the climate that we're in, yep. right? And um, have do you deal a lot with patient perception? Because I think there's a there's this divide. I think just looking from the outside looking in between people who probably go to the doctor too much and people who are like oh that aches i'm afraid to right, go right, right. find out what it is right um do you deal with that gap at all um in some of the design or just as a i don't know like an how do we close that gap a little bit more yeah we do and uh and i think what we try to keep in mind is there's a inherent paradox in in healthcare right now which is the people that really need to be um Getting diagnoses and and getting more feedback and watching and being proactive with are not the ones that are doing it. So they, they right. people joke about the the worried well right? that everybody who wants a CAT scan is probably not the people who should be getting a CAT scan. Um, so I think where that where that goes back to is this idea of stigma and making things more fall back into the background and working with existing habits and ceremonies of people. So if we can make it and there's exciting technologies out there that can help that. Lots of 
great work being done in things like telemedicine. And that sounds like a fancy word, but what that really means in the real life is, you know, grandma who lives in rural, in, in the rural South somewhere mm-hmm. and is not, has no means of even getting to the closest healthcare clinic, even if she had, you know, the impetus to, um, now via telemedicine could be someone who could be reached out to, uh, right. and could reach back out to healthcare professionals without having to go through what could be a, a huge barrier, which is just getting just to an appointment and getting back again. There was, um, I, so I, first of all, I had a fan moment recently. Um, I mean, I'm having a fan moment now, but also, um, at, at, <laughs> I was at a dinner and Louis Anderson was there oh, and wow. I'm like a huge fan. Yeah. Right. And, uh, I grew up in Detroit and come to find out he's a spokesperson and I forget the name of the organization for uh, in Detroit. And it, I guess Detroit has like the highest fetal death rate in the country. Wow. Um, and it, you just reminded me that I think that one of the top causes was transportation, being able to just wow. get to your appointments or your checkups. Um, and so, I mean, I love that that's part of what you're thinking about because, yes, there's grandma in, you know, in a rural part of Texas somewhere. Yeah, right. But all, even in, like, bubbling metropolises, yeah. like, there's, there's still the same difficult. Sort of problem. Yeah. And the clinic could be around the corner, but yeah. still there's, there's just base barriers to that. So, uh, so those are kind of the exciting things. Like where when very high-tech solutions are being used to address things that for the patient are very – very simple, yeah. obvious. Things, well, even you like, know? Uh, and this is, I was going to ask you if you guys do any work globally, because that leads me to think about like in places like Japan where there's growing elderly populations. Right. And that's one of the reasons ro- like personal home robots are becoming a more and more of a thing because somebody's got to be able to go and check on grandma and like make sure the medicine was taken right. and then, or do some telepresence where it's like, hey, did you take your medicine? Like, right. in addition to just saying hello and, you know, being cordial. But, right. um, does your work apply globally and what are some of the nuances that you look at if so? Yeah. When given the opportunity, a lot of our clients and projects that we're working on are either already are or going to be released globally. And as you can imagine, there are amazing, crazy nuances in the healthcare system and even just cultural differences. Um, and this could be even within countries as you know, yeah. people in the U S know how different it can be from, from coast to central, uh, areas. So yeah, that's a big part of understanding the nuances of that. A, a lot of it has to do with the healthcare providers, how much training they have, how much time they spend, um, and making sure that we work to make sure that, uh, services and devices work with whatever their workflow is. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with cultural biases as well. Um, yeah, a lot of times the barriers that might seem like technical barriers aren't technical barriers. They could be cultural barriers. That's just not a subject, you yeah, know. You don't talk about that. Yeah, yet. exactly. Yeah. We'd love to use the example. We were working on a, uh, a research project for uh, for Kohler, a toilet project, and we were uh, we were going in to find out about people's toileting behaviors. Not something that Kohler <laughs> had. Really, you would expect a, you know, a hundred and so something year old. Uh, company who designed yeah. toilet would have done a lot of research in that regard, but they hadn't really gone through it. And we came to understand why that was so complicated. We were trying to recruit in multiple cities across the, just even within the right. U S and could not get recruits in Boston, Massachusetts. Huh. People in Boston were not interested in having us come in and we weren't asking them to do anything per se in the bathroom, but couldn't do it as opposed to that or part of the recruiting snapped up people in New York city, like 
No problem at all. People are totally willing to address yeah. all of their the Great Boston their... Toilet Rebellion, as yeah, I like to yeah, refer exactly. to it as. So I mean, even within, <laughs> even both on the East Coast, you can tell like how cultural barriers can be the difference between learning and and not learning and and designing intelligently for one group versus the other. So that reminds me of um, uh, oh, what was it? it was Fitbit? I think they just did the largest sleep study ever done uh, right. in the history of the world because everyone, you know, right. Uh, but they found all these like geographical nuances about like who sleeps more, men or women. Men in New York sleep, you know, right. less time than men in Chicago. Like uh, different age groups, college right, campuses, right, right. et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there's all usually in a practice like what you're doing, or even in that example, it's you find these undiscovered data points, which the toilet example is a great one. And so, again, just dealing with even more so than the functional design is like the cultural appetite. Right. Um, right. Have you come across a scenario where a solution, the, you know, the end user had this funny using toilet humor. <laughs> um, but uh, we, the, had to, we had to have a pun, a rear pun end jar, user. by the way, for that. the whole project. Oh my like it was full of there's Yes. There's, uh, <laughs> no, but do you find like the, the maybe it won't be adopted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. That yeah. happens with one example. We were really excited about this, this idea for, um, for hearing aids where we could use a capacitive switch. And for people not in the tech industry, that's, you know, just like a touch, a touch switch. It might be on your microwave or something where mm -hmm. you're just, just, just touching it would turn this on. So hearing aids have a little switch, a little rocker switch on the back that it lets people go through cycle through modes. Again, these are sort of becoming outdated. I'm super high tech ones, but to be able to say, oh, I'm in, you know, I'm driving the car is a different sound mode than right. maybe being uh, listening to television or something like that. So, so fast forward to studying stigma and having people understand like, oh, I don't want anyone to know I'm using a hearing aid. We thought it would be really cool if we use these capacitive touch switches on the back of hearing aids so that someone with just a gesture, almost like tucking their hair behind their mm -hmm. ear could be adjusting modes without fumbling with it and letting everybody know around the dinner table that, oh, you know, what are you doing behind your ear there? You know, so I we thought out that, a quarter. Yeah. So we thought, well, what a great use of of technology for, you know, to reduce stigma and right. ease of use and all those great things. And and it tested well and it got developed and and the devices hit the market and it was just too complicated. We just really underestimated the cognitive and physical um, you know, usability of this considering a 70, 80 year old user. Yeah. It just didn't didn't fly and audiologists who were the ones prescribing and, and setting these things up just said they just keep coming back. So many huh. questions, so much burden for us to keep training this. So, you know, it, it happens sometimes yeah. all the best of intentions. And even if you go through the rigor of testing and say, yeah, 87% of people, you know, were successful. <laughs> sometimes it's just, you know, you just either underestimate or overestimate something. Um, what I like about, the company being around for this long is that you've seemingly stuck to your guns in terms of the medical application of your design thinking, yep. as opposed to, you know, because most companies want to diversify and diversify quickly. And now we're going to attack this vertical sure. and we're do stuff in automotive sure. and we're yeah. going to do stuff. Um, why stay narrow? Well, we want to stay small. It lets us work in small teams. So we're, you know, and, and we want to make sure that we can focus and have the A team, there's no B team in our, in our organization working on the most important projects. So that just limits, we have to be selective about the projects that we take to some degree. 
Um, I think, I mean, not to be arrogant about it, but it's, it is, it's the big leagues. It's the most difficult, we believe, type of design to do for a number of different reasons. Sure. You know, not only just the FDA part of it, but there's lots and lots of stakeholders. Um, you know, you're asking people to change. So from a human behavior thing, it's the most challenging, <laughs> yeah. it's expensive, it's complicated, all those things. So, so once we got some success doing that, it almost seemed like some of these other product categories were playing down a little bit. We still like the opportunity to, to take on other projects, but, but the ones that are outside healthcare right now that we would take on would be more something where we thought we could learn something about a technology that might eventually be applicable, or we might yeah. learn something about people that we didn't know. So I think that's, I think that's it. Once, once we got the chops to be able to do that and sure. got some experience doing it, it's also meaningful. You know, we have to recruit young designers and engineers and researchers and UX um, designers as much as anybody else does. And there's a whole generation of kids, call them kids because I'm old now, um, <laughs> of students and grads and, and young people entering the workforce that really honestly care about what they're doing. They want to have meaning behind it. It's not okay yeah. to just churn out whatever. Do you, you know? do you find this happening more and more? I mean, there is some generational studying that's been done that suggests that you know millennials and Gen Z uh, you know, care more about doing good than previous generations. Or and have you seen it? I don't, I don't, yeah, I, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. Cool. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is statistically, <laughs> but yeah, we see it. And I don't know again whether maybe in the space are, that you're in, it kind of comes with the territory, so. right? I like think so, it, to some degree, whoever's going to gravitate towards yeah, you, they, like, find, cares. they find an industry where they think they can do something, right? So right, right, I'm right. sure. I'm, but I'd be willing to bet you that other people in medicine or other altruistic pursuits would tell you the same thing that like for them the, that it's only ramping up. Do you take the mechanics of your day job home? So, like, are you continually thinking at home about, like, oh, maybe if we put this door over here or, <laughs> you know, finding different solutions? Because I find, like, sometimes sure. I can't turn it off and almost uh, to a uh, almost to a, a fault. It's like, I don't need your advice right now. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, maybe we, we should do it this way. You're like, okay, uh, let me just shut up. I got I got a notebook by the side of my bed. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking it of, yeah. Yeah. Um, but as you know, anybody who's who has been in the position of you know coming up with crazy ideas, a lot of them happen in the shower. You know, right. it really is, and physiological. It's when your brain is shutting down and has the time to process overnight that it can start making those mashups, and it actually makes those connections yeah. for you. So, so yeah, I try to I try to turn it off. I got I got mechanisms. I got see, I got tricks <laughs> for turning the brain off. Uh, see if you can answer this one quickly. Um, weirdest mashup that you worked on. Or most unlikely, let's say that. Uh, let's see. Oh, that's that's a good one. I'm trying to. I mean, at, at some point or another, we were working on defibrillators and slip and slides at the same time. So there's been some pretty <laughs> there's been some pretty weird ones. Not a, com a combination defibrillator and slip and slide, or like a. Oh, see that? Oh, yeah. See, I just yeah. Now, now see. See, see what I do? God, man, you're good. If you guys need a guy, you know. Somebody, somebody. <laughs> um, now, as we wind down, um, you've seen a lot. You've got to experience a lot of things. Um, maybe in your industry or outside. It might be a meal you had. It might be a trip you took. But um, what uh, what is your current innovation crush? What do you see out there that kind of gives you goosebumps and gets you excited? I, I think, I mean, it sounds self-serving because we're into it, but it's kind of why we're into it. The neuromodulation and what they call electroceuticals, which is using 
really low voltage, tiny little implantables to address so many different conditions, I think is going to be the answer to a lot of crises right now from opioid addiction to, to many other issues with, with uh, pharmaceuticals and people with chronic pain and chronic conditions, which we see lots of people with chronic conditions. Um, I'm pretty excited about the technology. I mean, it's the same base technology that's, that's used in cochlear implants, make Mm. people able to hear it's used for pain reduction, um, you know, reducing, um, hypertension. Um, so I think that's a pretty exciting one and it's literally something that once it gets implanted, disappears and you know allows you to get on with your life wow. as opposed to here let me give you something to wear around all the time yeah or to stick on your head or you know that people are going to ask you what's that thing on the table next to you you know so right. i think that's that's that, pretty no, exciting that's, it's, that's it's a little awesome. scary to some people but when really when you're into it and you see and i think you're going to see more of it when you see the work that everybody's doing um it's really it's really pretty exciting it well it makes me think about this like you know the the cultural gap that happened, or I don't know, the cultural divide that happens, uh, or the journey of something. So there was a let, let's call it the chips that the, you can put in a dog, right? Like right, to, right. to do the look. And then yep. I think in some parts of Russia and some other places, it started to become popular in humans. Yeah, and then right. people were like, "I would never," right? And then right. you know, you start to have this medical implicate. Like yep. there's a yep. there's a, uh, a a trajectory of comfort right you start right. off and you said it earlier you said people don't like to change right and it's like the the phrase i like is people it's not that people don't like change they don't like transition right it's right right, they, right. They, they they will like the where they're going once like they that. get there but it's the like i'm leaving behind something i'm comfortable and familiar with to this unknown yep. thing and there's a gray area in be, in between it yeah that's good um i don't know if i had a question there i was just like kind of well no i think I, the way i would interpret that is it's gonna happen and I think the people that are developing it are are applying some of these new technologies that might be a little scary to some areas that have to be fixed first. Right. And that's great. So that'll get that'll be people who are like, yes, please, whatever it takes to cure my chronic pain. Sure. Right. If that's that's what it takes. I think those results will magnet, you know, they'll build on each other. And over time, it doesn't happen quickly. But yeah. over time, I think the acceptability and the benefits will, will really outweigh the the fears. And I think it's it's going to be something that we're going to say really we took you know a dozen different pills and you know had oh, these yeah. terrible addictions to things when i could have just had this little you know it seems so easy why did it take us 10 years to get to but not that we have time to get into it but there's a lot of there's probably a lot of opposition you're up against you know when you think about like the traditional pharmaceutical and because like, that's a great example right i can uh-huh. get this one time device and do away with 12 different prescriptions that's taking money from an entirely, you know, different industry. Like, do you? Oh, they're all they're all invested in it already. Oh, okay. I mean, Glasgow right. Smith Smith Klein GSK, huge pharma company. They coined the term electroceuticals. So, oh, okay, yeah. cool. I think that's. I have a whole plethora of questions around yeah, it, but yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. thinking. Yeah. You know, I think it's similarly. Like, I I spoke recently at um at a, a, a space, and it was like PMI science, and it didn't register to me what that was. And then I'm getting there and we're doing the talk. And I'm like, oh, PMI is Philip Morris. And, uh, but come to find out, they're working on a lot of technological solutions to smoking, you know, right, uh, traditional right. smoking. Right? So it's just finding a different way to make it healthier or yep. alternate be- alter behavior. So, right. um, I, I, based on your answer, I don't find it surprising that, you know, a lot of <laughs> right, the, yeah, the yeah. they're out there looking. But I, I take that from the positive, which is, that's great. There, there really isn't 
a battle. Yeah. It's just everybody works it's great the same thing. But it's, it's a, it's a, I feel like it's a common misperception. Like, you know, like, right. oh, there's people trying to kill you. ideas. Right, like, right, who right. killed the electric car kind of thing, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, last but not least, complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is? Innovation is mashups. Hmm. Love it. You, you said we were going to talk about it. <laughs> and we did. I think this is the most, you know, mashups and, and metaphors. I use another another M in there. I do the same thing, yeah. Trying to explain complicated concepts in a simple way or, you know, trying to use things that we already have together in weird, weird combinations. That's great. That's like slip and slides do. and... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, where can people find out more about you, your work? Um, yeah, not w- Dr. Eric. No. <laughs> uh, www.cartondesign.com, K A R T E N design.com. All one word has a bunch of our great projects that we're working on and links to white papers and other kind of stuff as well. So, not too ironic. To it's it a well designed website. That's right. It should be. It's one of the, that and our business cards, the last vestige of uh, i'd like to see um by the way what was on your notepad you had you came in here very prepared as if you were a medical professional but no i'm just i have learned to depend on lists and things to keep all the random things bumping around in my (laughs) head so just words like metaphors stigma uh all that kind of stuff let's see health healthcare is hard Healthcare is hard. That's, <laughs> that's, that should be the name of your uh, your book. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. This has been another installment of Innovation Crush, uh, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>